Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle. He don't ever get rattled. He just goes to the sun goes down. This is Gregory Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Welcome to another edition of Food Chat. Chef Jackson and I are going to have a great time talking to you today about Colorado wine. Chef Jackson, welcome to the show. Well, good morning, Greg. Great to be here again with you, as we always are on uh, Wednesdays. Fantastic. Yeah, and, you know, it's just a beautiful time of year. And, uh, you know, Colorado is great with the four seasons. I love this state because of the four seasons. But, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're headed into the fall here soon and the cool off. And, hey, that, that means that uh, a lot of things will be coming off the vine. Well, you know, I'll tell you, Greg, uh, let's look at it this way. You know, when we read the, uh, the local newspapers, they're talking about uh, Rocky Ford melons. They're talking about Olathe corn. Uh, you know they're they're really uh, they're promoting Palisade peaches, but we have such a dynamic wine industry uh, in the state of Colorado, and everybody is harvesting right now. Not only the the cantaloupe people and the um, the melon people and the peach people, but right now we're taking a look at those grapes every day. Are they ready to pick? Should we wait a day or two? When is the next frost coming? It's just part of the Department of Ag, and uh, it's fascinating that we have seen our wine industry grow as much as it has in the last 30 years. Yeah, that that's very interesting point that you make, uh, because, you know, I grew up in Colorado, I'm a Colorado native, and gosh, as a farm kid, I never heard anything about a Colorado wine industry. Uh, that's just been the last, uh, like you said, last two decades. And the cool thing about Colorado is, as people know from driving around the state, we have some very diverse, different kinds of growing regions. You know, if you're driving up in the mountains along the I-70 corridor and you're driving, you know, through Delta and Montrose counties or down further into the Four Corners area of Durango and Alamosa in the San Luis Valley, prolific amount of of uh, great agricultural products that come out of the San Luis Valley. And then you got the Grand Valley area, but that is so different than you go down to where they grow all the melons, you know, where Michael Hiracata and Rocky Ford is. And it's just cool to see that no matter where you are in Colorado, kind of in a desert place or in the, you know, the mountains, which get a lot more moisture, you have some great ag and some great, actually great, Places to grow different kinds of, uh, of wine, different, not grow wine, but grow the grapes for wine. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, once we get Greg on the line here, there's been a lot of changes in what they're growing in this state as well. You know, um, we have some of the highest uh, vineyards in the world. And, and, you know, we live here. We Oh, it's not that high. It's only 4,700 feet. But when we compare to other major wine-growing regions around the world, we are uh, among the highest. I think only Argentina has higher altitude vineyards. Right. Well, we can ask Doug about that question because uh, I'm sure he'll be able to explain how they uh, how do they do that. I mean, how do you grow varieties of wine in such high altitudes? You know, I don't know, but but our guests will know. Yeah, absolutely. So, it, along with those lines, you know what? And I know what you're thinking: wine and food pairing. Well, that's 
that's the next natural thing when we're talking about wines. But let's get through the wine section first with uh, with Doug because I think he's got a lot to say about uh, what his office is all about. Uh, you know, recently in the past, uh, they had the Governor's Cup competition, and uh, they announced the winners last week. But uh, Doug puts on a big show in November that's open to the public where they do a wine and food pairing for the winning wines of the Colorado Governor's Cup Challenge. Hey, let's ask Doug about that, and he's on with us now. Hey, Doug, this is Doug Kasky, the Executive Director of the Colorado Wine Industry Development Board. Hey, Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Doug, it is a pleasure to have you on Food Chat. Uh, Jackson Lamb here, of course, with uh, Greg Bloom. And, uh, you know, in this show, we, we kind of explore everything that's all about food. And, uh, you know, of course, I think this is a very big month with uh, Colorado wines from a harvesting to, to a bottling competition. Uh, and then all the food shows going on. Well, you know, I can talk about this stuff all afternoon, Doug, but I think you're the expert. Why don't you share with us a little background of, of the Colorado Wine Advisory Board? How long have you been in business? I know you're attached to the Department of Agriculture. We've had some of the ag people on in the past. So um, well, let's open it up to you, Doug. What do you say? <clears throat> well, thank you. Uh, th- thank you again for having me. Yes, uh, the Colorado Wine Industry Development Board is part of the Colorado Department of Agriculture. We were created by the state legislature in 1990 in order to um, support and foster the development of the wine industry here in Colorado. Uh, you know, there were, there were grapes grown in the Palisade area and other areas, including the Front Range, back in the 19th century. Um, a lot of the immigrants that came to Colorado brought grapes with them from Europe and their own uh, winemaking traditions. I'm not sure it was a big commercial industry. I think it was mostly, you know, wine for home and community. But obviously, prohibition kind of put a kibosh on that in, uh, in the 1920s. And then um, the, the, the federal government funded... Um, an economic development project called the Four Corners Project in the 70s. And that looked at, you know, various ways to stimulate the economy for the Four Corners state. One of the things they looked at was um, grapes and as to whether or not it was a commercially viable crop for our region. And if you look at the current wine industries in New Mexico and Arizona and Colorado, um, you, you can really trace back a lot of the origins of the current industry to that Four Corners project. Anywhere you can grow peaches, uh, you can grow grapes. And so obviously the Grand Valley in Colorado, where Palisade peaches come from, um, is, is, a, is a great place to grow grapes. The advantage to, pe- to, to grapes is that they take a little less, uh, actually quite a bit less water than peaches. So it was, a, um, it was attractive to the fruit growers uh, in the 70s because they were just coming off some severe drought in the 1960s that, that hindered the peach crop. So grapes were kind of a welcome addition to what they were able to grow. And from there, we've expanded, um, you know, in the early days of, in 1990 when they passed the legislation for the wine board, I think there were five wineries in the state, and now we've got 170 some. And... Um, we're approaching about a thousand acres of grapes. Most of those grapes are planted 
in the Grand Valley, as I mentioned, which is the area between Palisade and Grand Junction along the Colorado River. Uh, there are uh, more grapes in the West Elks AVA, American Viticultural Area, which is between um, Paonia and Hotchkiss along the North Fork of the Gunnison River in Delta County. And then we have grapes down in the Four Corners area. There are some grapes grown on the Front Range. Uh, not a lot, but, uh, but people are certainly experimenting with that. And we have wineries all over the state. I think most people don't realize that even though the grapes are primarily grown on the western slope, we have more wineries up and down the Front Range than we do um, anywhere else in the state. So it's not hard to find a winery to visit and uh, sample some wares and have a good time. You know, uh, I just wanted to take a moment there, Doug, to talk about AVAs. You know, the people that are not yeah. on the wine business, what are you, what are you talking about? Uh, these are American viticultural areas, correct? Right. They are areas that are um, established and identified by the federal government, by the Tax and Trade Bureau of the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Corporation of the Department of Treasury. Uh they are areas where there's a unique growing condition or climate. Um, so, you know, the most famous in the U.S. is Napa Valley. Um, of course. That is an AVA. But, you know, Napa has developed many, many sub-AVAs, smaller classifications and areas within the Napa Valley. And um, so Colorado has two American viticultural areas that are recognized by the federal government. I mentioned the Grand Valley, that's um, around Palisade, and then the West Elks, which is around Paonia. In the past, to get a few others uh, identified, but those efforts have not, uh, not, not borne fruit, as it were, so far. Uh, Doug, would that be based on volume? No. No, it really isn't based on volume. It's based on a unique climate. Um, so, you know, as long, you, you do have to have an industry there. You have to have, you know, grapes being grown so that you can show uh, in your application to the government that, yes, this is a viable grape growing area and does have unique um, climatic or geological characteristics uh, that impact the Very wine. Very cool. Well, Doug, one of the things that really does impact the wine is our altitude. Uh, yes. uh, Greg and I were talking earlier you know, you're you're in Grand Junction. It's 4,700 feet. You don't think, well, well there's not much altitude here. It's only 4,700 feet. But when we compare that from an agricultural perspective and we compare it to other wineries or vineyards, we're pretty high up on the list there, aren't we? Uh, yes. Actually, as far as I know, the only part of the world that has higher vineyards is Argentina. Because their their vineyards run up to I think ten thousand feet in elevation, but they're so much closer to yeah. the equator that it's a, a different climate there. Um, you know, when you talk to California about high altitude vineyards, they're talking, you know, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred feet above sea level. And yeah, for California, oh, I know. That's it, high altitude. Yeah, up in Lodi, up in Lodi, they maybe at two thousand feet. Woohoo! They're way up there, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, really, really. But, but what I love, happens? I love it. Um, <laughs> what happens is we get as much um, heat during the growing season as they do in Napa or Tuscany or Bordeaux, 
but it comes in a little shorter season. So, you know, there, there's there's fewer days between the last spring frost and the first fall frost, but we get as much heat. So we we can ripen and, and produce most, yeah, most of the Vitus vinifera variety, the traditional European grape variety. Some of the really late ripening grapes, Zinfandel comes to mind. That, that doesn't do well in Colorado because usually it's going to ripen in uh, in November when we've already had at least one fall frost and probably some snow. Just a quick, a quick footnote on that. The altitude also um, brings more UV radiation uh, from sunlight, a little more intense here. So we have to make some, some modifications for that, where in places like California, they'll pull leaves so that the grapes get more sunlight. We can't do that here because the grapes are going to get sunburned. So, um, you know, we need a little more shade here because of the elevation. Very interesting. Hey, Doug, the Denver Post ran a great story last month. In fact, it was the end of July on some unusual grape varietals that we're experimenting with in Colorado just to see if they can be a little bit more cold tolerant. Do you have any information on that? Part of the impetus for for looking at some of these new varieties is obviously the climate is shifting a bit. And um, in 2019 and 2020, we had back-to-back severe temperature swings in October. And while those, those temperature drops came after we'd harvested the grapes, they came well before the vines are hardened off and ready for winter temperatures. So we had some significant damage in those two years to the Vitus vinifera vines, um, such that in 2021 we had very, very little vinifera uh, grapes that we were able to harvest. So growers and winemakers had to turn to the more cold-tolerant, the cold-hardy varieties. A lot of those are um, crossings between the Native American species of grapes and the European grapes. So, you know, they have a lot of characteristics that are similar to vinifera. There's a grape called Traminet that one of the parents is Gewurztraminer, and indeed it smells and tastes a lot like Gewurztraminer, but it's much more cold tolerant. Um, There's another one called Aramella. One of its parents is Muscat. So again, that very flowery, perfumey aroma, but uh, a lovely, lovely dry white that is much more cold tolerant. So yes, in the last couple of vintages, we've seen a lot of wineries turning to some of these varieties that people may not be familiar with, like St. Vincent, Verona, Chamberson, um, and in, in last year's Governor's Cup collection, and again in this year's Governor's Cup collection, we see several of those, uh, several wines made from those more cold-tolerant varieties, and they are um, um, they're really wonderful wines. I think you know a lot of people for years have said, oh, you know, hybrid grapes, they don't make good wine. Well, I think the case was people weren't paying attention to them. They weren't treating them with respect and taking care to make good wine. And now that people are doing that, uh, we've got some outstanding wines from some of these less than 
Doug, I'm sure that we have consumers out there that are creatures of habit. They buy sure. the same wine all the time. So you're absolutely right. They're, they're, uh, they're not, their eye isn't on the ball with what is going out there. Hey, I will tell you that in my wine fundamentals class over at Metro State University, last week we tried the uh, Petite Pearl from Carboy. Mm-hmm. Boy, that was, that was a perky little red wine, but what a different name that was. Yes, it is um, a relatively new cultivar created by um, Tom Plocker in Minnesota, I believe that's where he's located. So again, he's breeding grapes um, for extreme cold conditions, and uh, much colder than we face here in Colorado. <laughs> and Petit Pearl is one of the real standouts that's coming out of his program. It's just a delicious, you know, fruit-forward but structured and very elegant red, I think. What I love about it, Doug, is the new names. You know, it's like previously mm-hmm. the only petite was really Petite Syrah, Petite Pearl. Yes. It just has a, it, has, it makes you smile a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. And yeah. I think a lot hey, of these Doug. names are, are, are fun. Sure. Hey, Doug, let's just kind of switch a little bit. You brought in the federal government earlier. And uh, it was announced last month that the most endangered river in America is the Colorado River. Um, Fortunately, we are at the headwaters of the Colorado River. Uh, The people all the way down river in uh, Arizona and California, they're not so lucky. Um, Are you part of the talks with how they want to restrict the river? And do you think that's going to affect wine production? over in the West Elk or uh, the, the uh, Grand Valley AVA? Well, it's definitely going to affect all agriculture uh, because, you know, the, the government is requesting severe curtailment and cutbacks of water usage all along the Colorado River. You know, what I've been, I'm not part of the discussion, but what I've been told by some of our experts is that, you know, the, the water rights of the Grand Valley are very senior. They were established in the 1880s, if not before. And so, you know, they're reasonably well protected. That said, I was talking to my counterpart in Arizona, and there's a new law that's been passed that applies to their primary grape growing area, where if you buy property in the Wilcox, uh, Arizona region, there are no water rights attached to it, regardless of, of the history of the property. Um, so, right. you know, that's going to have a huge impact on the future development of all agriculture, but especially it's going to impact their grape growing area. Good, Doug. That's a very good point. Uh, hey, Greg, uh, you had a couple of ideas about growing grapes on the front range. What were those? Well, I was just wondering if there are people that <clears throat> maybe they're listening to this show or maybe they're not, but uh, that are interested in planting grapes in their backyard, and uh, maybe, Doug, you could speak a little bit about how long does it take to plant sure. a, a grape variety, and, you know, it's not like you're going to have uh, grapes ready for eating on the table or, or making wine that year. You could talk about how long it takes. And then I have a question, like, can you plant a, a variety of grape that would thrive in this environment that could be used for both table grapes, and if you wanted to, you could take it somewhere and have wine made? Well, you could make wine out of any kind of grapes. Table grapes generally are much larger, so they're, you know, have more meat and juice in, in them. Wine grapes tend to be much smaller. 
you know, yes, there's a lot of grapes that do grow on the Front Range. As a matter of fact, there are species of grapes that are native to Colorado um, and have been here for, for centuries. Um, however, you know, one of the reasons we don't grow wine grapes on the Front Range uh, in large scale is that our temperatures are a little colder during the winter here than they are in the West as well. And they're a little less consistent. You know, there's those January days where it's, it's 70 degrees and we put our shorts on and we're loving it, but the grapevines here get very confused by 70-degree temperatures in January. So it's problematic. Um, additionally, we see a lot of hail in, in the front range that they don't see nearly as much on the west slope. So that's been one of the plagues for uh, people trying to grow grapes on the front range, which is a, a severe spring hailstorm. There are a lot of grapes that you can grow. Most of them tend toward uh, the, the table grape uh, varieties, but of course you can make wine out of them. Candidice is a, a variety that I've seen in a lot of amateur winemaking competitions, and I've seen it in nurseries here, too, that you can, you can buy those vines and plant them, and they make some very pleasant wine. But again, it is more of a table grape. And Doug, how long does it take Very normally good. to get a get a grape uh, ready to oh. to produce some high quality wine? Is it is it a year or two or three? Or? Well, you, you can get grapes the first year. From a commercial perspective, it's going to take probably three to four years before you get a commercially viable crop. Out of it. Uh, you know, for your home vineyard, yes, you you can get a few grapes those first few years. You may not want to. Uh, to harvest extensively to give the vine more chance to develop so that you get more grapes in the future. Um, but, yeah, you, you're right. It does take a couple of years before you're going to see. Very good. Hey, um, you know, Doug, as we are coming up to the, uh, wrapping this up in the next two minutes, you have a big event coming up in two months, first week in November. Uh, you want to share that with us? Yes. It's called Colorado Uncorked. November 4th at History Colorado, the, the museum in downtown Denver on Broadway. Um, we will be tasting the 12 wines that were selected for the Governor's Cup collection by the judges we brought in from all over the country and around the state last month. We had, I think, six sommeliers from the Colorado um, hospitality industry. Uh, we had two masters of wine, two master sommeliers, um, and a lot of writers and other experts. So we, we brought in people uh, from around the country to take a look and pick out the best wines in Colorado. They came up with 12, and that's what we'll be tasting at History Colorado, along with some small bite menus from uh, some of the area's top chefs. Doug, I see on your website, yes, coloradowine.com, it's just a great website. Compliments to you and the Colorado Department of Ag for Thank putting you. such a nice website together. But uh, you have uh, an events tab, and so people, if they're interested in that event and want to buy tickets for it, they can go to coloradowine.com and, uh, and uh, right. click on events. But there's also just some great, great information there uh, about the wine industry in Colorado, so I would just encourage people to go check out your website. And you can also find, uh, you know, maps and lists of the wineries in the state by region. You can search by name. So I think, you know, going back to the idea of these new varieties that people have never heard of, a great way to try them is to go visit wine. And I encourage people to find a winery nearby uh, or find a winery close to where you're going to be spending a long weekend in Colorado 
visit them and, and try some of the new varieties. Again, coloradowine.com is the place to go for that. Fantastic. Hey, Doug, thanks a lot for a great insight into the entire Colorado wine industry. We're small, but we're growing, aren't we? Yes, we are. Doug, thanks for joining us on our show today. The information was, was really great, and I look forward to seeing you soon, hopefully at, a, at a, one of these events that are on your website. Well, we would love to have you. Thank you very much for having me. Welcome. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Well, Chef Jackson, that was a great guest we had. I'm so glad that Doug was able to join us, and I really would encourage people to go to ColoradoWine.com and just see all the great information there about the Colorado wine industry. And, you know, wine pairs with, with what, Chef Jackson? It pairs with food. So, you know, typically people aren't uh, just consuming wine all by itself. They're consuming with food. We'll have to have another show on, on pairing. And, you know, I know you're an expert sommelier, but, hey, thanks for all your info today and your intel on the wine industry, Chef Jackson. Well, I think that it's, uh, you know, wine is a living thing. And I think that, uh, you know, of course, some people just get into the same wine all the time. But when you think of the variety that's available out there, why not try something different every day? Right. And, you know, you have to go a little bit out of your way. You just go to ColoradoWine.com, click on the links to help you find a local place to buy this great local wine. But, you know, you're probably not going to find it at the big box store, that big, huge liquor store. You just got to go a little bit out of your way. You can order it online. But I'll just encourage people to support the local wine and ag industry in Colorado. You know, uh, Greg, I really like what Doug said about, you know, when you're, you've got a long weekend elsewhere in the state, look around. There's probably a winery, not, not a vineyard, but a winery w- within five miles. And just go check out the local scene. That's all. Fantastic uh, advice. Great. Hey, Chef Jackson, we're running out of time. Hey, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us, and uh, have a great weekend. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on Food Chat, and bon appetit. Today's Food Chat episode is brought to you by Ranch Fresh Meats. Ranch Fresh Meats finds the best quality meat products locally in the marketplace. Many of them pair well with wine, and today's show is all about wine, but Ranch Fresh Meats finds family farms that grow great things like bison, beef, local poultry. Go to ranchfreshmeats.com and sign up at the bottom of the homepage to get our weekly newsletter because we put specials out every Monday to help you save money on local food. RanchFreshMeats.com Here's to the farmer that plants the fields in the spring The turn from green to that harvest honey Pull one up for the banker downtown They got him on his feet with handshake of money The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.